On this episode, we explore VR, AI, and training in higher ed AV. All that and more on EdTech. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure. Because every voice matters. EdTech episode 109, to infinity and beyond, pushing the boundaries of higher ed AV. Hello, AV friends, and welcome to another episode of EdTech. As always, we have our panel of awesome AV, uh, higher ed AV professionals, Ernie Bailey. Good afternoon, Aaron. How are you doing? Hanging in there. Yeah. And we have with us Rob Raspberry. How's everybody doing? And Scott Tyner. Hi, Aaron, and, and the rest of the group. Glad to be here. And today we have a special guest joining us for this episode, the Higher Ed AV Award-winning AV Professional of the Year from Moravian University, Britt Yenster. Welcome, Britt. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, tell us a little bit about what you do over there. Sure. So I am Director of Event Technology at Moravian University, so I take care of all things live event AV needs. <laughs> And um, how has it felt so far since Infocom and being awarded your uh, AV Pro of the Year award? Yeah, it's weird. So, um, I mean, it's it's awesome. I'm super appreciative and and blown away. Um, but not to not to be like a weird like biblical person and make it weird. But like even um, there's a passage where Jesus says like a prophet is not respected in his own land. And like, I feel that way sometimes where it's like, you know, I am given this award or like I go to Infocom and I feel respected and loved and then I go back to work and they're like, oh, it's you, you know, not to say that I'm not like appreciated at all, but like they just, I'm the face they're used to versus going out in the world and it's just different. <laughs> Absolutely. I totally get it. Like, I feel like at between like Infocom and everything, Hutma and stuff like that. And it's like, it's Aaron. And then I come back here and they're like, yeah, all right, great. <laughs> Get back to work. <laughs> like, yeah, they're like, oh, great, Aaron. This classroom has never worked. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, let's jump into the stories that we uh, read this month. And so we'll start with one from avnetwork.com, go big or go home. The uh, Sid Roth Ministries had invested in an expandable VR environment for its production studio. Uh, huge, massive uh, DVLED video wall that they, they put in. Um, so is there a future for VR in higher ed or and what might that look like? It's interesting the way this article put is put together because it sort of, you know, came off to me as more your background kind of, you know, versatility sort of. And to me, it was almost like when I saw it say VR and then I, it was more like, well, this is sort of upper, this is like a green screen version 3.0, I guess you could say. So right. I could see where there could be a big use for that. You know, you set your, your, your background up with these displays you can choose whatever you want to put back there. You can adjust the lighting, make it all nice. It gives you versatility for different instructors or people coming in and doing videos. 
So I certainly could see that background having some kind of place in, and, and um, applicability in our environment. Um, but, you know, we know VR goes beyond that. But I thought, you know, the article and, and the set, my God, that looked just amazing. So, you know, I think there's a place for it. I think it really depends on like if that's go if something like that is going to become the norm or become something that is used widely, because I think that's a big piece of where we make decisions in higher ed, because our ultimate goal is to educate students and prepare them for careers. Right. So um, if there's an opportunity there to prepare students for technology that like is used normally, then sure. But like if it's going to be this one off very cool, admittedly, use case, then maybe not. Right. I could almost see it in that type of thing in film schools or mm -hmm. as a way to get these uh, film scenes done in a potentially more economic fashion as opposed to having to build full sets or, uh, you know, create all these different things. They could just do it all digitally. But yeah, that... Um, are there any other types of VR, though, that could be used beyond just sort of like a background um, type setup? Well, I mean, I was, I think I was on the same page as Rob when I started reading that. And I was like, where's the VR aspect of this? This is just a really big visual. Um, I do, I think it's a, it offers a very interesting experience and, and maybe again, I don't know if it's, it's VR as much as a, an immersive experience where you could definitely see art, uh, art being done in here, theater being done here, music being done in here. And some of the pictures immediately kind of uh, made me think about the sphere in Vegas and this whole different way that I think events are going now about this entire immersive experience that it, that uh, a, an area, a building, a space is designed for that full immersive experience. Um, so I, I think it's got some place, like anything, I mean, we all know, unless you've got some big grant or some big program to move this forward, uh, it's a while before most schools afford something like this. Um, but I, I thought it was, it was a cool experience, and that's what it made me start thinking about art and music performances and venues. Yeah, I was thinking about it and, you know, how we might be able to use it in medical education and uh, demonstrating different things. But I think it's maybe over the top, at least for right now, more than what we need. You know, there are other ways to, to do what we're wanting to do. And this is such an edge case situation. We're trying to make our classrooms as simple as possible for the instructors and for the students. So the education is... Uh, the emphasis, not the technology in front of them. We want the technology to kind of blend into the environment they're in. You, the technology is important. It's what we do, but it's not the end result we're after. It is a pathway to the end result, to the education that we're doing. And I, I can see this as much of a distraction as anything else, uh, at least at this time, for what they're, how they're using it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's always that piece of um, it, it, it's great to have those experiences when you can't afford or put in place the real experience, right? It, you know, oh, boy, you could walk through the, the ancient ruins on this screen, which is cool. And you might see some things, but 
really the way to see the ancient ruins is go to the ancient ruins and see them. And so it, I, I think it's, uh, um, I, I, I agree, Ernie. But we have to keep in mind too, like to what Scott was speaking to in that, you know, that it could be used for events and these larger experiences. Cause a big part of the college experience is not just the learning, but also the tertiary learning that happens when you're involved in activities and, you know, actively doing things. That's why I love doing events in higher ed so much. So, you know, if we could take events to that higher level with technology like this, I also wonder if it could be used for something like esports. That was one area where I thought it might be applicable but that's not, not something we have on a health science campus you don't have like operation like an operation game there already that has made it <laughs> <laughs> made it to the to av yet they actually have several uh sets of the operation game in the student lounge i find that very interesting <laughs> well july 16th was artificial intelligence appreciation day which as of this recording was only a couple days ago so Let's talk about Scott's article on ravepubs.com, AI in higher ed. Do you want to tee that one up for us, Scott? Sure. Um, anybody on this in this group or anybody who listens to these podcasts know that I, I think AI is fascinating, amazing, extremely powerful. The future will all be dealing with it. But I also think that in many ways, it's like every other technology we've ever seen in the sense that you have to apply it in a way that makes sense for your environment and really thinking about it. So one of the examples I gave in there is we, and I think many of us started doing our own installs years ago. We do our own programming and there's a reason for that. It's not simply to save money. I'm, I have to do some math, see if it even saves money. It's so that we know those rooms in and out. If there's a problem, we can replace something. There's a problem, we can change the programming instantly. And so to say, boy, AI is so cool. It could write a program for a room and design a room. And well, you've now lost the point of what we were doing and our ability to solve it very quickly, right? And so if we were to simply say, boy, we can replace 50 rooms this year because AI is going to program it for us and design it for us, that doesn't fit our strategy. And we might might have to rethink our strategy, and maybe the day is going to come where AI will actually fix it for us or tell us exactly what to go do to fix it. But at the moment, it's not there. And so it's just really to think about uh, as exciting as it is, as powerful it is, as it is, it needs to fit the strategy um, that your school has, whether it's AV, IT or, or business operations. Absolutely. I think I think the fear that people have of AI taking jobs, um, I think as tempting as it is for those who make, you know, who are the uh, moneymakers, to replace people um, with these solutions, um, I, it definitely seems like that's the the wrong move because there, you still need that human element to make it all go and to really go in the right direction. And Scott covered that AI doesn't need to replace people, but it can make the people more productive if they're using it properly. Uh, I mean, we've had this discussion many times over the years. Scott and I have talked about it, and we've talked about it on uh, this podcast about, you know, exactly what Scott just said. We design our classrooms so that we can properly maintain and operate them, and we don't have downtime in our classrooms that we have if we're having to wait for whoever installed it for us to find time to come out and service it or explain to us what we need to do. If we design it 
we install it. We we know, you know, when the instructor tells us what the problem is or a student says this is not working properly, we know right where to go to try to fix it. And if we're doing the, doing these ourselves, if we're creating our own uh, rooms, we've probably created two or three just alike. So maybe we can move that class to another space real quick that's going to do exactly what they need and not have to train the instructor uh, a new way to teach his class. So I think AI, like, like we were saying, can enhance our tools. It, it can be a tool in our toolbox, but it doesn't need to replace the physical intelligence that we have. That's a really good point. Let me take it a, a step further where I'm, you know, pushing for AI a little more, but also not, AI does not have hands. Mm -hmm. AI is not physical. AI does right. not have that human physicality at this point. You know, of course, in the Terminator movies, they change that around. Scary. But so there always will be the need for the human part of it, whether it's from the design, installation, maintenance, whatever. Where I think, and as early as you said, AI can be an effective tool is, you know, you know, in some of our systems, we have the ability to check our, our rooms check on the status of bulbs, not bulbs, excuse me, laser projectors now, even though some of us still have bulbs, but, um, and, and give us a system overview of maintenance. You know, imagine AI, instead of us having to look up where we ordered something, when it's supposed to be replaced, how we're supposed to order it, AI has the possibility of doing all that part for us, which isn't really taking away a lot of what we're doing is just making what we're doing a little more efficient as far as replacing and ordering and doing that kind of stuff. So I think there's a place for it. But yeah, I, I completely agree. The human touch factor design beginning soup to nuts is still, you know, better in our hands for the foreseeable future. Brett, I know that event support is so very hands-on, but do you see potentially there a space in there for some sort of AI assistance? Possibly, especially on the uh, communication end of things, right? I'm sure there are ways that we can automate or even, you know, you give chat GPT the right prompt and it can even just fix things up for you that you've already started to make sure that you're communicating well. Uh, so I think some of those even more human-like factors it could help with. Um, one thing I'm curious about, though, is that, you know, to Scott's article, um, it was you have to consider like why you're using AI and figuring out how, how it fits. And that's what we're all speaking to and stuff. Um, but what's interesting to me about AI is like it's not super intuitive, right? Like it's something that you have to learn how to use. So how would you say that you all are like learning how to effectively use this new tool? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess where we are using AI uh, and probably all of us are without even thinking about it, uh, cameras, uh, you know, auto framing cameras, you know, we're not going to see a camera that's going to re uh, an AI right away that's going to replace uh, a live production system, you know. But as far as for an instructor move, just walking back and forth across the stage or in front of the classroom, uh, using uh, the camera that can learn the person's movements and keep, keep them framed, I think that's a great use of, of AI right there or monitoring the sound and keeping it at a good level. But 
we basically have to, we have to teach the device how to do it a lot of times. Some of them are coming out of the box, but some of them we're having to set the parameters and things, and we're learning it. And I think some of our techs are actually getting smarter as they're learning how to set these things up and, and use them. But it's not something that's going to, I think, like we said, uh, completely replace the people. It's going to make us more effective in what we're doing. And we do, we need to realize that and remember that, well, like we've all said, we need that human touch still uh, to make it to make it the way we need it to be right now. Yeah, I think for me, for mostly I, I've been using um, AI for communication type situations. And it's been really about honing in on the prompt and trying to figure out like how exactly I need to phrase things to get what I really want. Um, and I've been kind of surprised though at some of the garbage that I've just thrown at it and it has really just come, come up with some really nice things that um, even uh, I will admit that uh, I'm sure this episode will be titled by AI. And I basically just copied all of my uh, notes for the episode into it and was like, hey, come up with a pithy title for this podcast episode and beauties, absolute beauties. So it's, um, you know, it's definitely getting smarter itself, but part of it is really like knowing how to put in the correct prompt to get what you want out of it. So I'm, I haven't quite gotten to the point of working on programming using it, but, um, and I think that's going to be very prompt heavy in figuring out what the right things are to input. I will say we just had a little bit of fun with ChatGBT and that we took a list of products and we said, build uh, a classroom system with this and it matched a program we had written uh you know did the drawings and or you know didn't actually do drawings but it described the system exactly the way we had built it um so it's it's getting there i'm i'm not ready to trust it with with classroom design right now because you know there are too many variables that you don't see until you get in the room and start installing but we did find it to be very close to, you know, to what we would be doing anyway. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's one of those things that maybe even in, in the future will be a job for people is just to be an AI editor so that they'll go through and give a once over to make sure that that's what it is, or just to try tweak and transform the couple of things that are like, oop, that's not quite right, but then push it forward. So I don't want Hal in the classroom yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I was going to say, I mean, that's that's just interesting to that point of like, who's going to teach the students how to use AI? And then the last article we've got today is from um, AV Magazine. QSIS launches UK experience and training facility. So that leads us to 
training for you know us higher ed tech managers and whatnot. Where do we get our training? Like, what is ideal for us? Well, I think a, a big conference ended about a month ago, and I know that we had uh, a person from our team go. And when I, I talked to him when they came back, he said, and I'm, I've been a big advocate this all along, I spent about half a day on the show floor and the rest of the time in sessions and training and learning. We, we know in, Infocom's a, a, a big one. Um, other regional workshops, but the other one is, and, and I think a lot of them are even getting better, is the uh, vendor, the vendor training. I will say, by looking at this one, we've just started really looking at QSIS and uh, my team's been going through the training. I've gone through some of it. And we're, I mean, it's its enjoyable. There, There's, I don't know if any of y'all have gone through the QSIS training, but uh, it's one of the best put together ones and uh, you don't fall asleep in them. Yeah, it's, it, I think there's um, a, sort of a hybrid um, of what's going on. So, you know, their vendors, LeGrand has been great for us. They will organize like a regional training for certain aspects, whether it's AV over IT and stuff, actually come to your institution. You have people from other educational institutions coming in together, learning together, like Infocom is great. And then there's also the online option, uh, which is which is certainly very useful because some people learn better in different ways than others. So, you know, it's a little bit of everything that I think is involved with our training. Yeah, I found this to be a uh, really great move by QSIS to put uh, together this center, um, especially in light of the fact that a, you know, one of the trons has been kind of decreasing their teaching or in learning centers. Um, so it's it's interesting then to see another company starting to build that side back up. Because I feel I, I love that, you know, the pandemic sort of pushed in uh, online, um, you know, uh, training to, you know, be more available. But at the same time, there it just can't replace some of that in-person, hands-on uh, right. training. So it's um, you know, it'll it'll be neat, interesting to see if what the trend is moving forward for other companies. Yeah, I think workshops, you know, hands-on workshops are at least for my type of learning. That's that's how I've always learned and. I can do it a whole lot better if you hand me the components and tell me to put it together than reading an article on how to do it. I also just thought this was very um, respectful of end users because it seemed like it was an area for what the, they would consider end users to get the hands-on experience and learning. And so the fact that they dedicated a space to for people like that to do that, I thought was really cool. Absolutely. And it's um, like keeping in mind that there are people who learn in different ways is, is quite nice. Cause yeah, there's some people who learn by hearing or by seeing or by doing. Um, and so to sort of be able to address any of that, those types of learning methods is I think really smart. And it, it always surprised me when you see companies going away from training 
because um, I can tell you the the programming training I did with Crestron in New Jersey, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago, it was an experience, right? You went down there, you were in it for the day, you went out to dinner at night, uh, you, it, you, you bought into what you were learning and the products that they were showing you how to program, right? I mean, they're going to be smart. They're going to teach you how to program. They're going to show you the new products as they're teaching you how to program. So, I mean, it, in many ways, that training that they provided to me 15, 20, however long ago it was, has probably led to us being a Crestron house. Um, so it, it helps us, it helps them. Um, it, it's training and marketing and sales all in one shot. Are there any other types of like training methods that maybe don't necessarily exist currently that you think might be helpful for our vertical? Well, if you ever remember the bad movie, Johnny Mnemonic, it's it, at some point, maybe we'll just be able to upload stuff into our brains. That's looking way into the future. <laughs> but Thinking a little out of the box there. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think, you know, the, the three major, you know, whether you have the regional center where you're training on site, hands on or whether, you know, it's at an institution, you bring a rep that teaches you something or you're doing online stuff. I don't know what other types of training there are i mean i mean i don't know if i'd call it training but i, I mean i make a shout out to the higher ed avit slack channel which i mean in some ways it's training right you say i have this problem i'm trying to solve and people help you solve it and it might be product agnostic it it's so in many ways that is that is training and so networking in some ways is is training it helps you solve a problem and learn something as you uh move along so i think networking and all of us knowing each other is get, somehow going to be training, even though you're not sitting in a classroom or, or staring at a computer screen uh, following the program. Absolutely. There's uh, there's definitely something to be said by, you know, learning from your peers and just figuring out what, you know, what worked and what didn't for them. I don't know if this exists, but I think it would be cool if there could be a combination of the physical and digital, like if a company is willing to open up a training for just a certain amount of people and then they send those people that are signed up the actual hardware so it's like while we're talking about it on the webinar you can act, you can physically interface with it because we sent it to you that would be cool it would be good and some will do it in a limited fashion anyway uh, maybe it may end up being like one-on-one -on -one and then you have so many days to play with the device and you've got to send it back or They'll send you, I mean, I've even had them where they, they send us uh, the labels to send it to the next person in line. Oh, I was going to say what we were talking about earlier in its true sense is maybe the VR AR stuff is applicable here too. True VR, where you can yeah. physically see the images right. in 3D and AR, where maybe you're in augmented reality, where you can, you know, add that into the, into the training repertoire. Yeah, those kinds of those sorts of things would be really neat to do. But then it's also um, then getting the people who can create the environments to have this virtual world and training room. But that would be that would be kind of super cool. Like get to play with certain equipment or build a rack when you're holding on to your. Oh. your little joy cons or whatever 
I guess I do appreciate your description of what sounds like the world's most boring video game. <laughs> Are those Sims? Is that what a Sim is? No, I'm just. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I mean that sounds like something that we way fun to our type of people. But yeah, probably anybody else would be like, "What is they that?" They never sell it though. Yeah. I'm going. I'm going into the basement to build a rack tonight. So <laughs> I'm so excited. I mean, they have, you know, virtual banking and farming and stuff. So why not AV rack building or system designs? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us for this episode. Uh, Ernie, how can people reach out to you? Uh, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. And how about you, Rob? Same place. Rob Raspberry, LinkedIn. And Scott? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on uh, Twitter. I'm on threads now, if anybody's into threads, uh, and of course, uh, rave pubs. And Britt, thank you so much for joining us today. And how can people get in touch with you? Thank you for having me. It was very fun. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm also on Twitter. Excellent. And as for me, you can find me on LinkedIn and on Twitter at smearin underscore off underscore ice. And as always, thanks for joining us this month. And, um, We'll see you again next time. Bye.